Welcome to Stories in the Landscape Conversations on StoryArchaeology.com. This is just one of the conversations with the Gifted Irie Project Competition winners. Now I get to talk with Ruth Egan, one of our Irie winners. Ruth's entry is a painting of the Triscale shape-shifting characters of Maka, Bive and Nevin, so closely interwoven with the iconic poet Herald known as the Morrigan. But before we begin to talk about the painting, Ruth, tell us a bit about yourself. Well, hi Chris, thanks for having me here. I'm an Irish artist and uh, living in Dublin. I am um, not actually a dub, though. <laughs> I was born in Dublin, but we ended up living in Canada. I lived there as a child in Newfoundland and we settled in Limerick eventually. And uh, I, uh, I've also worked abroad in um, Holland and Belgium and ended up coming back to Dublin, which is now home. Um, so I've been practicing my... So you've travelled quite a bit. Yes, yes. Um, Newfoundland really was, I suppose, where I kind of grew up in my early childhood. Um, it, it, actually a very Irish place, in fact. Uh, many people of Irish descent, immigration there over the years, and many current Irish were there while we were there as well. So um, it was, uh, yeah, it was quite an experience, actually. I hear Newfoundland's quite beautiful and wild. It is actually very wild. It's very unpopulated uh, in the inside of the, or you know, in, in, the, in the inland. Apparently, people settled on the seaside, and um, they would actually travel to other villages via the sea rather than go, you know, on the land. And it's still quite sort of wild and untamed. Uh, a lot of it inland. So Holland must be quite a contrast. Yes, um, actually it was funny because I was a young adult when I went to Holland and I started my first job there and uh, I also started driving there and I got a terrible shock one day when I drove after many months of driving around Holland and Belgium. I drove down to meet a friend, uh, actually a Canadian friend from when I lived in Newfoundland down in um, somewhere in the south of Germany, the border of Germany and um, France. But the car started eventually going slower and slower and I was like, what's wrong? And finally, I realised, oh, I'm going up a hill. <laughs> There's no hills in, in Belgium or Holland. <laughs> I hadn't really experienced... I'd driven a little bit in Ireland before, but not much. You know, obviously, there were lots of hills there, but I hadn't. It was quite a shock to the system. There's nothing wrong with the car. It's OK. I'm just going up a hill. Yeah. When, yeah. when did you come... Yeah. To, when did you move back to Ireland? I moved back to Ireland at the end of the 90s and I settled in Dublin because I'd done my kind of college years and study here so I had my fr friends here and everything and um, yeah I've been here ever since like I kind of always say I came home to roost <laughs> and roosting I am. <laughs> Good place to roost. Um, so how long have you been painting or, or rather I'm kind of asking two questions at once but how did you develop your interest in art and is paint your favourite medium? So tell us about how you got into art. And um, well, uh, as a child, like all children, I, you know, drew and coloured in and all that. And I loved colour. I absolutely loved it. I, I actually remember as quite a young child, maybe seven or something, th this sounds ridiculous, but falling madly and deeply and passionately in love with a particular shade of pink. And it wasn't that kind of thing that little <laughs> girls have for pink. And I didn't want it on my clothes. I didn't want it, you know... It was, I'd seen it uh, coloured in in a cat I'd done in a, a book or something. And I looked in me, I just loved that shade of pink. And I looked for the crayon, which I'd obviously lost in the meantime. 
And so I cut out the cat and kept it by my bedside just to see that shade of pink. <laughs> so I, I was really into it then. And um, then when I was uh, an older child and we were back in Ireland, I um, we started riding horses. So I really got into drawing horses and, and just the you know the living um body i love mm. animals and and figure human figure and everything and i got into that then and then there was a period um that i didn't draw or much but in my early 20s when i was actually in uh, belgium and holland then or my mid-20s i got back into i decided to i took a conscious step like to do something about the art to get back into it and i went to an evening mm. school a really good school there in brussels and um there I you know I got into the art and all the rest but I discovered actually that I'm more of a painter than a drawer I think more and work more with shade and and rather than with line although you know I do both so um really since then uh, it was a great school you got to do uh, everything we did um painting life drawing mm, and mm. um printmaking as well which I loved and I do a fair bit of printmaking at the moment actually not the traditional printmaking with um, etching and that but I do these monotypes where it's just a once-off print because you you basically paint whatever you want to print you paint it onto a hard surface and you press the paper onto it Mm. so you only get one print from that you can paint the same thing again but of course you never paint exactly the same way again so it's never it's always a unique um, print but it's still to me it's actually like a painting mm-hmm. but uh, I love the printerly effect um, that pressing the paper has and the way it comes out and you're never going to get quite the same thing twice are you you're never go- no, never going to never going to be absolutely certain what you're going to get with the print kind of serendipity and uh, anything can happen and even if it goes doesn't go the way you kind of thought or wanted it can often end up sometimes better, sometimes worse, and sometimes just more interesting, you know. So mm. I like that looseness about it, actually. And that's something I often try and capture anyway in my paintings. I don't like them too precise. I like a certain looseness. Um, it's sometimes hard to get the balance right. It's lovely to meet someone else who's got a real thing about colour. Uh, for me, things have to be exactly the right colour. I have to... Uh, and. I, I, did, I found that I, I wasn't good at drawing, but I like to define shape through changes in colour. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's interesting. Again, I understand what, you're, what you mean, although I ended up working with clay, but purely because I could form and create movement in shape through, through clay. In the end, it was clay I settled for, but I... Yeah, well, clay would be harder to do, <laughs> I think, anyway, so <laughs> I think it took... I found it was interesting. It was the shaping with the hands instead of the brush. I found mm. the same movements I could get with the brush, the same changes in shape and flow were... Although I was, I was terrible at throwing. I worked at it for a while. Now, I also wanted to ask you about um, your interest in the old Irish stories... Obviously, you were interested enough to um, join us in the IRI competition and project. So how did you get interested or involved in Irish stories? Well, um, I think it started in when we were living in Canada, probably just around the time we were going to move back. Myself and my sister, we would have we had to start learning a bit of Irish um, because we were too young for secondary school. So it was still obligatory if you came back before the age of 12. 
um, you had to you, you had to learn Irish and and also I think in kind of preparation for coming back to Ireland you know they were getting us into Irish things and we already had a, a record of the Irish Rovers or something like that you know so <laughs> um, so I remember we got I think it was around that time or maybe just after we came back uh, we got um, a book about a child's book you know for about the myth some of the Irish myths like Coo Colin mm-hmm. and um, Fionn and the Fina and that Really, that was when we got into all these fascinating myths, uh, stories, and just the the way of telling them, and it had lovely illustrations and everything. Quite got into myths in general. I started reading, again, around the same time, uh, the Roman and Grecian uh, Myths of the Gods, a book of Egyptian myths, Mm. which were very nice, but I can't remember a single thing. It's so long since I read it, and I was actually looking for that book recently, because we had been talking about it, and... uh, can't find it anywhere so I have to look a bit harder because I'd love to read them again yeah I know when we were talking the other day I've mentioned my passion for Egyptian mythology which started when I was around 10 or 11 and I wanted to paint my my I wanted to paint my Mm. bedroom walls with the Egyptian figures but my sister threw up a fit because she said you'll have me living in a tomb (laughs) (laughs) I was going, no, it's wonderful. She got quite scared when I showed her the pictures and told her where oh, they came, come from. You know. <laughs> or this is the inside of Seti the First tomb. And she's going, I don't want to sleep in a tomb. Oh. <laughs> I looked around my kitchen and realised I'm still using terracotta, jade and uh, a sort of dark ultramarine blue. And, and I think, well, if you like, mm. those are the colours that are most commonly seen in some of the Egyptian paintings. Yeah. So, yeah, it hasn't changed that much. But, yeah, my sister was a bit put off by that. <laughs> Once stories grab you, they really grab you, don't they? Don't they? Yes, yeah. And, and the myths are wonderful because, obviously, all kinds of outrageous things happen in them and, and you know, they're larger than life and there's a certain, you know, there's a freedom there you kind of can be anything or anyone in a way you know mm, anything can happen and yet there's always something underneath that seems it's as if it's trying to tell you something or trying to tell you something important or that that's how I, I kind of felt yeah it's not just a complete free reign of imagination in that sense uh, there's tends to be kind of a well a bit of a kind of a little moral too sometimes or or a little teaching of something maybe or showing that life goes this way you know you can't escape your destiny maybe or things like that yeah there's always something deeper in them i was never terribly fond of fairy tales but i just loved myths babylonian or sumerian myth i very much got into gilgamesh as well so it's oh i must look them up (laughs) that sounds interesting oh now that they're really old and really fun um but look we really should start talking about your painting okay so let's talk about your picture now i really love it You've drawn on three of those wonderful, powerful and free-speaking characters from Irish story. The ones who predict and weave and warn about the actions and exploits of the people, particularly the people with the power. Yet you've portrayed them as three modern, real and indomitable women. There's kind we might meet planning, organising and sharing stories in, well, in any townland in Ireland. So tell us what's behi- what was behind this composition. Well... I suppose when I first saw the IRE project competition, I I was reading a bit about they were describing what you wanted and all the rest, and it just that image of my painting came into my head because I think initially partly because the three figures, three female figures, 
and the Morrigan and I knew you know there was a three aspect thing to her the, the Morrigan and the three sisters so that was what in kind of initially made me think of it but I think ties in in many ways the three female figures and roughly three different generations so that was kind of what made me think of it straight away and thought that it would be suitable and, and would work very well the fact that the actual painting is originally based on an old photo of family members so it's my my mom with my father's sister so her sister-in-law and my father's mother so her with her in-laws her mother-in-law it's just a very ordinary kind of picture you know um out family day out or something i liked the ordinariness of it and I, the everydayness of it if you like and uh actually i was laughing when i showed the painting first to mm -hmm. my mom she was like oh that's really nice but you haven't finished the faces you know so and it's it, that's what i like about it because it, it's it's very specific in a way but it's also a little bit timeless in another way and i think that ties in as well with the whole thing of the mythology and how it, it kind of echoes people and everyday life down through the generations and it, this same thing is continuing on today the same kind of life cycles the same kind mm -hmm. of life stories are continuing on today. It's just one continuous cycle that the, the myths um, often capture and uh, make timeless in a way. So that was kind of the idea behind it that kind of made me connect with it. Kind of my mom was pregnant with me, so there's sort of the birth and the fertility aspect there. And then the other end of the scale, my, my, my grandmother's in it and she's you know kind of older so it's kind of not that she she didn't die for a long time after that but anyway she, she you know this kind of near the death aspect so you've got that that cycle with which the morrigan again is associated well what you've captured are three strong women within your life the past the present the future the tide of life and i love the way that you've put in the background this lovely misty autumnal winter yet winter into spring the hills and the brown of the uh, fern i think it's beautiful oh thank you thank uh, you you've captured an awful lot in in what is seemingly a very simple image as you say in some ways a, a, a version of an old photograph but it says so much i yeah i, I this is uh, so much captured i mean even in a general sense let alone personally as well of course but but like you said, the landscape in the background, that is, to me, I, I just love the Irish landscape. And even though it's kind of more a winter, so you've more muted colours, you don't have the bright flowers or, tr or leaves of uh, spring or summer. But the colours in winter, I think, are just fascinating. I mean, if I go up the hills here in, in Dublin, I love going in autumn or winter because you get all these purples and browns and straw coloured and different old mucky, dirty greens and... It, it's just so much colour, even though it's all quite muted. And I love that mutedness of it, actually, and the fact that there's still so much colour in there. My aunt and my grandmother would have more or less lived in the country. You know, the countryside would have been part of their upbringing as well, to a large extent. So there's always that connection to the people in your life back through the generations via the landscape in which they found themselves and which you still say, if you're still there, you find yourself and I love that it's kind of like a physical connection. They really are figures in the landscape. They, 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 with the sense of the passing of time, but also that they stay representational 
of all time, all place. And they, they just are three strong Irish women and they're, you know, with their own stories to tell. And in a way, that's what the Morrigan and all the aspects of her are doing. They have stories to tell and they have stories to pass on and they will, whether you like it or not. <laughs> that's true, yeah. In your accompanying description of the, the painting, you wrote, this image can be seen as a portrayal of the spirit of the three women or elements who form the Morrigan as she shapeshifts down the generations through the normal day-to-day -day lives of the Irish women. And that's more or less what you were saying, and it certainly resonated with me. So, so often the later post-Norman misunderstandings, well, well, that's the polite way of putting it, um, relegating them to symbols of death and destruction and and their birds as scavengers is kind of it's it's not helpful i mean the morrigan is the poet herald who would predict record transmit news of events both victories and defeats they she would give warnings or make peace treaties and it seems that as though Many of the, these poets could have been women. Yeah, it's it's um, it's amazing. Like the the real role you're describing there of what the women could have been doing, and I, I suppose that's what I was trying to say with my image that women are still working away and doing whatever they do, and the, the myths, of course, tell of extraordinary deeds. But ordinary people do do extraordinary things, and it all comes from that and goes back to the ordinary people, I guess. Yeah, and I think that's what you captured. Your your picture reflects these positive roles. And it's interesting in Irish mythology that women are generally given more positive roles than in mm. a lot of other myth <laughs> cycles. And uh, Ralph's work in uh, his physics and mathematics networking, it actually shows that there are more positive roles for women and that the interaction is more positive, there's more of it, mm. and they have greater agency. <laughs> but that takes us on to something else I think we were talking about the other day, which is the importance of listening to our grandmothers, listening to the stories of older women. You know, the importance, and maybe it's just because I'm getting older, and mm. I want, you know, I've got stories to tell too now, you know, yeah, but I don't want to go into all that. But you know what I mean? I, I know I, w I, I regret not oh, listening yeah. enough, recording yeah, some of the stories of my mother until after, unfortunately, she was lost in Alzheimer's. And it was really, I left it too late in the end to record a lot of her stories of what it was like living in the Blitz in London and so on. And, and stories that only she could tell. So we lose a lot if we don't listen to our mothers and grandmothers and remember their stories, I think. Oh, yeah, no, I agree. I, I think that's so true. Um, it's funny, like, my mom was very good at telling all the stories of her childhood and so, in other words, stories about my ancestors, her grandparents that I obviously never met. And um, it was great to hear those. Um, like, you kind of take them in without thinking about them as a child if you hear them so that's kind of good because they sort of stay with you at least um but my dad didn't really he he totally made up stories i mean stories had nothing to do with reality at all in fact <laughs> but uh, but he didn't really tell that much that many stories about his own childhood not much but it was only afterwards actually talking to my aunts that I learned more about um, well his childhood and their childhood and my nana and so on on that side in fact um, the aunt in the photo there or the sorry the image she went to England she actually left quite young as um, uh, maybe 17 or something 
she said she just took one look around where she was in Ireland there was nothing there for her so she went to England and started working there and this was just before the Second World War and um, then she met her husband there and they had a child but he had to go off and fight actually he ended up being killed so she became you know a war widow and she had a young baby and she had been on um, an income for being a soldier's wife but that went right down of course when a dead soldier isn't as <laughs> as valuable as a living one so um, she just had a very hard time and a few years before she died I got to meet her I went over to visit her on purpose because I just had this feeling I needed to see her so this was the first time I ever met her as an adult and we had a beautiful day and evening together and she told me her story I was so happy to hear all this and she said at the end she said something like my family they never heard my story and I just thought my god how important it's so important not just from the people who are hearing the story to hear it to know what's gone before and all your connections with it but for the person themselves to tell their story I was so happy I'd heard her story and that I could tell it and it just showed me how important storytelling is and how important it is to hear people's stories because that you hear the most amazing things and you, and especially obviously if it's someone connected to you, family then you hear more about yourself really because you're hearing about your your ancestors if you like but even if it's a person totally unconnected to you i think it's it's just you can hear the most amazing things mm. You know, you don't lose someone if you have their story. There is something of them that stays and remains forever, I think. It's like the ancient Egyptians. If their name could still be spoken, then they were still there. Oh, and okay, it's, yeah. That was the whole point of, you know, if you lost your body, you still had the image on the wall. If you didn't yeah, have the wall, yeah. you would still be there if someone could still speak your name. There was a story about a great aunt of mine and... Then I discovered that she was another indomitable woman oh, okay. who eloped to Ireland and had to be brought back and was torn away oh, from the wow. person she'd eloped with. But after that, she never married. And we never knew why she was the maiden aunt until this point when we learnt why. And suddenly her whole life kind of the perspective changed and she became a sort of oh, a, you know, powerful character, not a rather sad maiden aunt. Because it's funny actually speaking of elopement, uh, my other aunt, who's the older sister of the aunt in the picture, I only learnt about five years ago that she too apparently eloped. <laughs> but there's two stories. One is, the first one I heard was that she wanted to marry her, well, who ended up being her husband when she was about 18, they wanted to marry, but the families didn't approve of the marriage, his family mainly because they were farmers and she wasn't of farming stock. And I suppose they thought she wouldn't be able to handle a farming life or something. And the story was then that they um, just got married with themselves and her sister's witness and his, his brother maybe or something. And then they eloped up to Dublin and... Um, they stayed there for three months before they came home because they had eloped and all the rest. And then the more down-to-earth version of that was, ah, no, sure, they got married there, and sure, her mother made the, the wedding dress for her, and they just went up to Dublin for the honeymoon. He couldn't stay away three months. He had to come back to the farm, for goodness sake. So <laughs> it was kind of, pick your version. You can see how myths are made. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Just, Do you want the story or the legend? <laughs> no. You know, I did mention when we were chatting the other day that in, in many societies, 
it's thought that there were women's story cycles as well as men's, but the, the but the men's ones were more likely to be passed on, as most of the folklorists who collected them were male. I was wondering if this could be true with the Irish stories. I mean, OK, Lady Gregory was a very useful story collector, but what do you think? I could well believe that women would have their own stories, because especially hundreds of years ago, the, the roles of, say, women and men would have been quite different. I mean, arguably, they still are in some ways, but they would have had different concerns, so they'd naturally maybe talk with each other more later on in the night, and, and then the stories would come about their concerns and their things that would be important to them, maybe. I, I could see it happening, all right, you know. I could I could well believe it. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to know, and again, I'm not drawing any conclusions from that, but it just, it was interesting, it has been suggested that maybe that often there may have been some of the creation stories or uh, stories of childhood and so forth. Mind you, as I say, there are some very, very strong women in Irish mythology from Fum Not, the aggrieved senior wife in the story of Mither and Aideen, or Methev, who does a lot of rather unfortunate things, but she's still a very strong character. It doesn't matter whether they're right or wrong, they're still decisive, strong, and uh, they can take any role. There are there are women f physicians like Aravid, <laughs> there are women poets like the Morrigan, there are women rulers like Methov, there are, you know, there are so many. But I love what you chose to do with that idea, and it's very much in the spirit of Irie. You know, this uh, the strong, iconic female figures. And they've got a lot to say and a lot of stories to tell. And I think your painting told a story. And that's why I really liked it. But there's just one thing I wanted to ask you. you your painting is in many ways a personal work. But have you any plans for it? Because it deserves, <laughs> it deserves to be seen more widely. Well, um, I actually have to say I'm, I'm absolutely delighted at the outcome here with the IRI project that it was one of the winners and has been, you know, given so much exposure on a, an international platform like this. And it's it's really lovely that it has that and it has been lovely seeing the other um, images as well. I mean, there's some just amazing things. All of the images and the poetry as well could be um, could get that platform and get that exposure. So, yeah, I want to, I think that's a good start. So will it go on your wall? No, I will see. <laughs> no, look, it's been absolutely wonderful talking to you. Irie will go on, it's going to grow and change, and we don't know quite where it's going to go yet, because we just feel that Irie means to rise up, to stand up and be counted. And I think the Irish stories deserve to be counted, and and the more of us who talk about them and work with them and explore them and talk talk about how that they have something to say well i think it's a good thing all round but look thank you so much for talking with me and it's been a really good conversation and i'm sure we'll chat again before long so thank you very much uh, thank you so much chris and uh, everyone in the IRE project involved and um yeah thanks for talking to me it's been a pleasure thank you Thank you for listening to this Stories in the Landscape conversation. Remember, on www.storyarchaeology.com, you will be able to access the whole archive of Story Archaeology podcasts. You can also explore a wide selection of my audio and video stories for children, as well as a range of project and support materials for schools. 
Also, discover information on a number of international arts events and competitions with which Story Archaeology is closely linked. There will be another Stories in the Landscape conversation along soon. <laughs>